Hello and welcome to the Good Mood Podcast. My name is Dr. Talia Marcajani. I'm a naturopathic doctor and I've dedicated my practice to learning everything there is to know about optimizing mental and emotional health. In this podcast, we answer the question, what does it take to live a life of truth, beauty, freedom, vitality, purpose, and joy? In a mix of solo episodes and interviews, I'll be talking about all the things that fascinate me, nutrition, nature, the latest science, psychology and psychotherapy, mindfulness and meditation, supplementation, and more. I'm so excited to have you here. Welcome to episode 10 of the Good Mood Podcast. In this episode, I interview my friend, Ivo Suve, a biohacker. Biohacking is the art of optimizing one's biochemistry and physiology through various practices, from basic lifestyle techniques to using more advanced technologies like apps, genetic testing, and employing unique compounds like peptides. Whatever the method, the goal of biohacking is to tweak health to be the best version of ourselves. Evo's story is interesting. From a young age, he's interested in using food to optimize his health. He then started applying this interest to enhance his physical fitness, and more recently has noticed a profound impact on using various lifestyle techniques to optimize his mood. Evo emphasizes first tackling the low-hanging fruit of diet and lifestyle strategies, stacking them to produce the profound effect of moving from a mild to moderate depression, or a dysthymia, to a robust and resilient mood state. We talk exercise, diet, genomic testing, gut microbiome, intermittent fasting, light exposure, BDNF, or brain-derived neurotropic factor, hormesis, and even the use of peptides like oxytocin to boost mood. Keep in mind, of course, that none of this episode is meant to replace the one-to-one health advice of a licensed professional, and that many of the therapies we talk about, like peptides, psychedelics, um, even genetic testing, are not therapies that an Ontario-licensed ND has access to. And so this episode, is just all the things we discuss are purely for educational purposes. I hope you enjoy this conversation. And we're recording. Hello, Ivo. Hello, Talia. (laughs) How are you? So you are uh, talking to us live from Phoenix, Arizona in the US, but you're from Belgium. That's right. And about half of the year, about six months a year, I usually spend in Colombia, South America. And yeah, right. And then there's the Columbia connection, although that's not how we know each other. We know each other because we met at a biohacking conference in 2018. Yes. In Toronto. Toronto. And you are a (laughs) certified biohacker, although there is no such thing as a biohacking certification. You're you're a uh, a self-hacker. Yes, I'm always looking for ways to improve my health, to improve my life, uh, to improve my happiness. Awesome. Yeah. And so what's what's biohacking? Can you define it for us? Can you tell us what it is? I think the the most common definition used nowadays is biohacking will be anything um, that you change in your environment to improve your performance in any which way. It can, can be mental performance, physical performance. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like it's more about um, optimization of health. Yeah. And so for example. For example, well, I like a small little example. When I was 13 years old or 15 years old, I was always really interested about these small little articles you would find in the newspaper saying, oh, if you drink, drink pomegranate juice, then your physical, like you can run for an hour longer or you will run much faster. Like all these little tweaks and mostly with food always seem so interesting to me. And that's how my journey started. I'm like, oh, if I eat these foods, 
but things change. If I eat a lot of lentils before doing a hard workout, the workout feels so much easier. And over the years, I've found so many more things that work really well for me and maybe don't work well for other people. Mm. And that's the journey. Yeah, like started at age 13 where you're like, oh, if I tweak this thing or eat more of this thing, I'll get this outcome. Mm -hmm. And did you find that pomegranate increased your endurance? (laughs) I... For me, pomegranate mostly increased my uh, libido and you could say sexual endurance. <laughs> physical performance, I haven't really found any difference now. Well, it's, a, it's a form of physical endurance. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so you were, okay, so you would take these tweaks, like certain foods that you can eat or things you can do to get certain outcomes based on certain values you had. Like I want to run faster. I want to have a better workout. I want more mental um, maybe mental acuity, creativity. And then that sort of catapulted you decades later into continuing to do this. It it wasn't always that way. I think everything changed when about when I was 27 years old. Um, In my 20s, I had a shoulder surgery. And because of this, and I never did any good rehab or like substantial rehab, my arms are rather small compared to my chest. And I remember going to Thailand with a friend and I had a beach picture with my friend. And we went to our pictures and he kind of mentioned, you know, it looks like your arms are too small for your chest. And I looked at the picture and I was like, what's obvious? Like, "Hmm, it doesn't look right. And at the time I was living in Peru and I went back to Peru and I was, I just, uh, oh, I'm going too fast. First of all, my brother came to visit me and for two months we would do physical exercise every day. We would go for a run. We'd go swimming for an hour. We do all kinds of stuff. We do Muay Thai. I did a lot of Muay Thai then. But that doesn't help you get big arms. I would get very, very lean. And in fact, even so skinny that a lot of people were like, oh, are you okay? Like, not, It wasn't really a look that fitted me well. Also because I'm tall. I'm six foot one. And um, so... After this period of three months of being very physically active and being very lean because I had a little bit of a tummy before, I was like, these arms, man, these arms are so small. And then I Googled how to get bigger arms. And I found this uh, this article on bodybuilding.com that changed my life. I think it was by Doberman Dan, Dan the Man. And this is a really a good article. And that was my first step into biohacking. I looked at the article. I took every single point to the T, followed it to the T, to the letter, tracked my calories for the first time in my life, did, worked out um, for the first time in my life, writing everything down. So I would write down how many reps, how much weight, how much, re- how much rest period. I would keep the rest period consistent. I would never work out longer than 45 or 50 minutes. And this was like how to get bigger arms in 31 days, but I did it for three months. And after three months, my brother came back and I hadn't, hadn't even really realized. I mean, I was getting bigger. I was getting reactions from people. And my brother is like, what did you do? How much did you train? All of a sudden, my biceps were bigger than his biceps. And he always had big biceps. And they were leaner. I said, I don't know. I just worked out three times a week. That's it. But I went to bed early. I ate well. I counted all my calories, weighed all, weighted all my food. and yeah, it was like the first time, like, wow, this, you can have really big results and only three months really sticking to it, to the plan. No need to make decisions. 
you you develop the plans once, you write down the plan once and just stick to it. And if it's not according to the plan, I just don't do it. I would not even go to bed before I had all my calories in for the day. So I gained a lot of muscle. And since that, that, that was like the main event that to me was like, wow, mm-hmm. you can really accomplish a lot of things. Mm-hmm. It's so cool. So you remember what the tips were that Dan the man had? Uh, mostly was uh, up your protein, up your calories, uh, track all your food, weigh all your foods, and sleep, rest. And it was even, because this was an article focused on muscle mass, it was even like, don't exert yourself too much on non-workout days. So for me, especially in general in my lifetime, it was always pretty easy to be skinny or to be lean. I'm mostly skinny. And um, so especially for people like me, it's important. If you want to gain a lot of muscle mass, it's not going to work if you're like riding your bike two hours a day. Mm-hmm. You'll be burning so many calories. You'll have to eat astronomic amounts. And I, I ate like it was my job. It was like many times like, oh, I don't want to eat anymore. But if I want to get these bigger arms, I need to. Yeah. Also, so it's like a food plan, um, a lifestyle plan in terms of how much to sleep, instructions on how to work out, how to rest. And it was this, this strategy that you just deferred to. So it's mm-hmm. like you kind of um, just allowed this plan to be your guide and exactly. committed to it for three months instead of the 31 days that he was recommending. And then you started to notice results. And then this sort of was the moment that you were hooked. You're like this yes. stuff. Worked. Actually, the thing that really got me hooked is because all of a sudden it was enjoyable to work out because before I would go to a gym, like, a month here, a month there. I think over my whole life, I went to the gym like when I was 24. So that's three years before that. I went to the gym for two months, but I didn't like it because it was like so annoying. The weights, the repetitions. When I followed this plan, it was like, you need to write everything down. So I would be in the gym. I'd be like, oh, I feel strong today. Oh, it's going great. And then I look at my notes from the previous workout. I'm like, oh, I only did nine reps. Last time I did 10 reps. Well, my brain is fooling me. I'm not strong. I'm doing less. So every time was okay. I need to try to push another rep in. So it always helped me to push and to push. And I wasn't even planning to do it for three months, but I was just so addicted to the constant progress. And some days the progress was better, but like with a bigger jump and some days it was a smaller jump, but it was just so enjoyable to have like this three weekly competition with myself that before I knew it, my brother came back from uh, the trip after three months. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I actually did work out for three months, I guess. Yeah, so. Right. It's like you're gamifying it. And you're using yes. this, this incentive to gauge your progress as opposed to just showing up at the gym with no real yes. marker of how you're doing. Um, yes. I remember this. Yeah, like I think um, I, I was on the triathlon team in university and would just do hours and hours pumping out cardio no results, right? And so you start to lose momentum. You start to develop negative associations with going to the gym because you're like, this is just this is punishment, you know? Yes. But when you're building in rest time and when you're able to see your progress, it's like there's yes. something motivating about it. Yeah, totally. That, that was night and day for me. And even now, like I've been traveling all over the world. I've been to so many gyms. I barely ever, I think I've never seen someone else write down his progress or write down everything in a notebook. I believe nowadays a lot of people might use their phones, their apps like JFit. But even me, I use my phone, my app now 
sometimes I feel like just pen and paper and having this book with you, like this tiny little notebook with that has sweat and tears on it is just something uh, very different. And this is one of the hallmarks of biohacking is tracking, right? There's this, uh, so, and you have an aura ring, I have an aura ring, and there's like these devices and things you can use to track and, and graph your progress in certain areas. How's your sleep doing? You have your little notebook, like how's my workout? Um, and then you're also, you're connecting different variables. So you're deciding, okay, you know, what w- why did my gym session, uh, why did the result, why did I not get the results I wanted in the last gym session? Or why did I not improve upon my old um, score essentially? And then you're looking at, well, am I not resting? Is there something to do with diet, something to do with sleep? And so you're trying to like associate these different variables to really essentially hack the outcomes. Yeah, mm-hmm. oh, exactly. And this uh, with the oil ring, this reminds me now about uh, how I've been hacking my food intake, for example. So I had the oil ring and the first few weeks and months, it's pretty much accumulating data. And at the same time, I was also actually tracking what I eat and what time I ate it using another app called MyFitnessPal. And uh, so after a few months, I went through... I, compared the nights that I slept exceptionally well with what did I eat that day. And I like, I like having a big dinner, but the data, I would like after two hours of making all the notes, it was very clear to me that if I stopped eating at 5 p.m. or actually if I didn't eat much that day, I slept so much better, so much more deep sleep, more REM sleep. So I couldn't argue with that. Mm. And um, I would also see things like the more olive oil I had, or I don't remember out of my head now because it's been a while, but especially olive oil jumped out. Days I had a lot of olive oil, slept better. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's like so, something that us NDs do, right? Is we'll like get patients between, uh, in my practice, between the first and second visit, I have, visit, I have them track things. Or even if we're trying, if we have a goal like increased protein, it's useful to just gauge how much protein you're eating and to actually measure it because our, um, our intuition is, some, I mean, I, I believe in our intuition, but sometimes, you know, our, our sense of how much we're getting or what's affecting our sleep could be off. And when you see the actual numbers, you're like, like you said, you're like, I can't lie to myself when I have a big dinner, I don't sleep as well. Yeah. And especially uh, with uh, protein, for example, meat, I have all my meat or not all my meat, but most of my meat in the morning and at uh, lunchtime. And I noticed if I have a lot of meat at dinner, again, like probably because it takes a while to digest, it doesn't go well for you. Mm-hmm. Right. So your body's in digestion mode and not in the rest mode. Although rest and digest the same nervous system. Yeah, it's uh, interesting how that. <laughs> yeah. But, but a, lot, a big part of sleep, like what uh, the digestive system is doing during sleep is repairing and cleaning itself out. And we get these uh, this migrating motor complex sweep where everything gets pushed into the colon. And that can't happen when you're digesting. So it can affect people's sleep. Not everybody notices the same result. But this is the idea with biohacking is that you're taking your own individual biochemistry and, and biology physiology and then you're tracking certain variables and understanding how the, they all tie together and so you could have taken sleep and you could have um, connected it to exercise and seen how exercise affects yes. your sleep but you're looking at you know two variables so and this is just the scientific method where you're the one participant in this study this n of one exactly. study <laughs> 
And you're like, okay, so I want to optimize my sleep. So what are the different variables that could affect it? Let's look at diet. And then you just hone in tweaking the dial on exactly how can I optimize my sleep using food and see how that, and if I adjust this one variable, how does that affect the Y axis or the X axis or the Y axis, the sleep? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and there's also what you meant to I said about rest and digest. There's always a threshold dose, I suppose. I mean, if I have, let's say, a quarter pound of meat, it's not going to affect my sleep as much. But when I eat meat, I usually eat a pound or sometimes even more. And a pound of meat at dinner, that's not going to be good for sleep. So. <laughs> yeah, we, we hung out in Brazil together. And uh, one of your main dietary staples <laughs> was raw ground beef. From William Butcher, and that was yeah, (laughs) that's really interesting. (laughs) It tasted good, actually. (laughs) Yeah, it's a it's a well known dish in uh, France and in Belgium. Steak tartare, tartare. ground beef, usually with uh, egg yolks, but I've been mostly using a lot of uh, olive oil with it lately. Mm. I I feel like it really pops the flavor together with some salt. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, it was was tasty. And one of the things that, so we're talking about lifestyle, like diet, exercise, sleep. And this is, I think the key with biohacking is it's, it's plucking the low hanging fruit first. I know you've talked about this before where, so we can, we're going to talk about all these various techniques that you use and other biohackers will use things like peptides and assessing their genome and, and doing stool testing. But um, one of the, the things that you have recognized is that it's a low-hanging fruit that needs to be yes. addressed first. Yes. And um, something that really helped me with that, is that, I did a genetic test with saldeco.com. Uh, and at the time, around the time that I had the results or before, I was a little bit in a bad mental place. So I was... I would, wouldn't call it depression per se, although a therapist would say it would be like a low, de- like a um, like a mild to moderate like, depression. Yes, exactly. That's the word. But I would like refer to it more as sadness. And you know, in, in life, everyone has reasons why they could be sad. There's always things going on in life. But me, I was always like, but these things are not. And me generally, I don't want to say like, oh, I have such an awesome life, a great life. But generally, I, I was always thinking it shouldn't affect me this much. Like, why am I sad? There's no real reason to be sad. Most of my my people I know are in good health. I'm in good health. Everything's going well. I have a job. I don't really have to worry about uh, anything. There's no reason to be sad. Sure, you can say, oh, you're in a bad relationship, this and that. But even then, I mean, you can if you can communicate, if you can talk it out, even then, why am I feeling this way? And... Um, in the, um, the genetic data, it appeared that I had an MTHFR mutation, and sometimes I could be associated with negative thoughts, OCD, depression, all those things. And even though I had the results, I had, like Saldecode gives you wellness reports to, like, what can you do for, like, how does your DNA look for physical performance? How does your DNA look for cognitive health? Uh, how does it look for sleep? mineral status, vitamin status, etc. So I was important I was interested especially in cognitive uh, health. And um and some of the things there, some of the nodes there, they're ranked pretty high and they're actually free. For example, uh sauna. I mean sauna is not free, but sweating and being in the heat is free. 
cold thermogenesis, cold thermogenesis, cold uh, showers and all that. It's free. Um, make sure you practice uh, daily exercise. All these things are free. And I was like, oh, I already do most of those things or already know it, so whatever. And that's another thing I noticed. It's not enough to just know something. You actually have to practice it and do it regularly. And I did notice, for example, especially with the sauna practice, I don't have a sauna at home, but I was uh, in Switzerland on a, like I was doing this biohacking thing in a Swiss mountain clinic and they had saunas. And every morning I would go to the sauna and I don't like saunas. I don't like sweating. I don't like being hot. And I remember every time I'm in the sauna, I'm not enjoying it. But then an hour and a half later after the sauna, I feel borderline euphoric. I'm bursting with energy. I'm happy. I'm super talkative. I'm, I'm throwing one-liners left and right, making jokes with people, being very sociable. I'm like, wow, this difference is really night and day. Which And that led me to the a di- taking a deep dive in BDNF, which is a brain-derived nootropic factor. It's the basically the fertilizer for the brain, the fertilizer that makes you generate new neurons. And I noticed that everything that increases BDNF, especially with me, would like boost my happiness, boost my mood. Even on days that I feel great, as soon as I walk out of the house and there's no more roof above my head, I feel even better. It's very subtle sometimes, just a little extra. Just like, ah, it's a beautiful sky. The, the, the light is hitting your eyes. I mean, don't look directly into the sunlight, but you get more light around you, more dopamine, more serotonin. Um, I've been uh, rambling on for a while now. I don't uh, No, you're good. Any yeah, questions? I mean, like you, so yeah, we're, we're going to deep dive into BDNF because I know that's one of the, the deep dives you took with your own biohacking. And this is something that you noticed. You were like, everything that makes me feel good and just one-ups my mood, even if I'm already feeling good, everything that makes me feel good and almost puts me in a euphoric state where nothing can bother me. Um, and I'm, I, I know you have this story where you're like, you would, you notice that you would like not take things personally. Or it's almost like this mental flip where you're like, wow, I'm really just mentally resilient and strong. And every single thing that um, attributed to those feelings of mental resilience and strength um, were yes. things that boosted BDNF. And, um, but the one thing know. you mentioned, so you, with self-decode, but we'll go back to being enough, but with self-decode, you were mentioning MTHFR, and I just want to clarify, so what self-decode is looking at are SNPs, single nucleotide polymorphisms, which are these little variations in DNA. They're not so much mutations as just our variability in, in specific genes. And one of the main genes that's been studied is um, MTHFR, the mother effer gene. <laughs> 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 which stands for which stands for methyl tetrahydrofolate reductase <laughs> which which takes uh which is the folate pathway and folate is um a methyl donor and so methylation is just this chemical reaction that uh does a bunch of different things from detoxification to part of what makes neurotransmitters and there's a specific gene within the mthfr family that's associated with um, increased risk of depression and, and so this is like what I talk about. I have a, a, um, a podcast about nutrients and how it's important to not take um, synthetic B vitamins. It's, it's better for, for the vast majority of people. And obviously this is like one-to-one advice that you need to get from practitioner, but it's just um, better for most people to take active folate, which is going to act as a methyl donor than folic acid, which can get stuck in that pathway. 
And so what you, yeah, what was coming up for you was you, you have MTHFR mm-hmm. issues and, but then you started to, and so it, it's things like leafy green vegetables, yes. avoiding folic acid in foods yeah. and things like that. Um, Which made a lot of sense even when I was a child. I mean, sure, everyone likes French fries, potatoes with their meat. But I always noticed that I really enjoyed eating the leafy greens with it. Or I'll, as a child growing up, I loved liver. Liver is very abundant in folate. Um, mm. So it's funny how these things can come full circle mm. when you dig deep in your DNA or do other biohacks and then realize it's all coming to do together. Or it's all working on the same pathways. I guess, I mean, the body should know this is mm. what we need. This is what we crave. If we eat this more, will function more optimally optimally right it's like yeah like you sensed as a kid like your taste receptors were even aligned to this genetic variation you're like i really like leafy green vegetables there's something just feels right about consuming them um and i've I've seen um some theories about how people with mediterranean genes uh because people from the fertile crescent whose genetics come from the fertile crescent because there were so many more leafy green vegetables um and there's this theory about genetic real estate and it's like it's heavy to carry certain genes and so the body was just like well if we're getting folate from food we don't necessarily need these um to invest in making proteins for this folate pathway that efficiently but now transplant those genes into north american society give us um fortified grains like rice and wheat that are fortified with folic acid take away our leafy greens and now all of a sudden you have a recipe for for issues with mental health like with essentially a deficiency in, in methylation pathways. Yes. Yeah, that's cool. And so let's go back to BDNF, brain-derived nootropic factor, miracle growth for neurons. This is like basically what makes brain cells or new brain connections in our, in our hippocampus, but everywhere in the brain, mostly in the hippocampus though. And, and you were mentioning sunlight and it's like from one moment to the next. Like you said, like a, a sunny day will boost BDNF uh, on one day and then a cloudy day will sort of deprive you of that on the next day. And, um. yeah. Yes. Um, and I even, other things are like uh, doing breath work, doing breath holes, apnea training. Um, basically a lot of these things that I boost BNF, they're not enjoyable in the moment, like holding your breath, doing breath work and feel a little like um, exhausting to focus on. Like, why am I even doing this? Many times when I was doing things, like I felt like a resistance. I don't want to do it. For example, even this morning, like I don't want to take a cold shower. But then I remember every time I took a cold shower, 10 minutes after, I'm like, whew. And it gives me a little like cognitive boost, a pick-me-up, um, kind of like a cup of coffee. Coffee mm-hmm. also boosts BDNF. Mm-hmm. And um, we should put it in the show notes. I have a huge file of like probably the biggest file on the internet <laughs> of all things that boost BDNF. Um, yeah, I remember you sent that to me. It was good. Yeah, you had all these connections, and we'll we'll get into all of it because we have uh, time. But um, yeah, you're mentioning so basically all these stressors like heat stress, cold stress, fasting, which you haven't mentioned. Even so, good sleep can boost BDNF, but sleep deprivation to a certain extent can also boost BDNF. Um, you were mentioning um, sleep deprivation will boost DNF BDNF the same day, but if it's chronic a few days in a row, then it'll I'll go to hell. Mm. So it's good for one day. I give you a little boost. Sometimes you get off the plane, didn't sleep well, but you're in a new place and you feel so amped up and ready to go. Because it could be maybe related to BDNF from not sleeping well on the plane that night. 
that sort of yeah it's like all of these stressors so it's like so obviously if we think of like stress as this bucket we're carrying around like if somebody is incredibly chronically stressed these things are probably just going to overload them and they're going to experience hormonal dysfunction like dysfunction in their um their stress response essentially but when you're just kind of applying small stressors exercise as well as another one it's almost like the organism like our our the animal of our body is trying to it's like oh we're in a novel environment right because stress is all about you know you're you're trying to figure out ways to cope with a new Mm -hmm. situation and so it's like, oh, we need these extra resources and new neural pathways to understand what, what we can do maybe to survive. Um, yes. and, and so this is sort of like built into our genes. Um, yes. But there's these ways yes. we can hack that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically hormesis. If it, uh, something in a small dose is good for you, it becomes stronger. But in big dose, you'll die. For mm-hmm. example, going to the gym, working out for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour. But if you would work out all day and you're not used to it, it's not really going to, or you're going to run a marathon. The very first person on the planet who ran a marathon ran it, then died. Do you, do you know the story? No. So Marathon is actually a city in Greece. And there was a battle on at Marathon. And the general sent, uh, the general, when they won, sent one of their soldiers back to the city to bring the good news that they won the battle. And I think it was 43 kilometers, which is exactly what a marathon is nowadays, or like the exact distance. That's where the distance of a marathon comes from. So the soldier ran the whole distance, arrived at the city, said, I think they said, he said Nike, which means we won or victory. And then he collapsed. He died in the moment. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with cold thermogenesis. You can have an ice bath for the first time, five minutes, seven minutes. But if you would stay in that ice bath, an hour, hmm. you will have uh, what's it called when someone like hypothermia, uh, like essentially nervous yeah. system shutdown. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And same with heat, with sauna. You in there for thirty minutes or one hour, everything's good. Stay there and for a full day, you'll maybe you'll have to go to the ER. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like this idea of just applying a small amount of large doses of stress, but in short spurts, um, in order to encourage the body to start to respond to that kind of stress. So you apply a little bit of cold or let's say sauna. So you go into the sauna for 20 minutes, high temperature, um, and your body starts to create these proteins, heat shock proteins that are specifically designed to help you deal with hot environments. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're just doing that for a short amount of time. You're not just moving to Phoenix like you've done. That's <laughs> 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 funny because you just told me before we started recording that the reason you're in Phoenix is because you Googled hottest place in the U.S. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> And, um, but yeah, it's like, you're, you're not like just hanging out in the desert all day long. Like you're, you're just doing sauna for a few minutes, um, and then receiving some of the benefits at, like your body is, um, is triggering these hormetic pathways, which is a lot of what plants offer us. Like we talked about this veritrol is, uh, part of the, the great plants design to deal with arid, hot, dry conditions. And then it transfers that, that hormetic benefit, that compound to us to mm. stimulate some of these pathways to boost antioxidants in our body and things like that. So it's really cool. It's cool how we can like hack our, our bodies by uh, suffering a little bit. <laughs> so true. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh. <laughs> so what else is in your BDNF handout? Cause you had a lot of different things. Um, exercise and especially exercise with uh, blood flow restriction bands. So you can put these on your arms or on your legs. I'm actually wearing some on my legs right now and uh, they restrict the blood flow. and I believe it's not 
they don't know exactly why it works. I don't know how it works, but um, the, the reason I dove into this and I discovered that this worked actually was in the middle of my like depression era or bad like mental health era. I went to the gym and this was really like high paced workout, only one minute rest or between sets, sometimes 30 seconds rest between sets. Uh, big movers, big, uh, big exercise, uh, pull-ups, uh, dips, and then some weights. And I was using the, the blood flow restriction bands. And after I, I came out of the gym, I was, I was sitting down with this person. And this person was shooting, like, jokes at me. But you know how, like, like a roast a bit. Mm-hmm. And not once I was I offended. Not mm-hmm. once did I even take it personally. In fact, every time... I, the better the roast was and the, the more hurtful, so to speak, the louder I was laughing. I was like, this is a really good joke. Um, this person said, whoa, like today, nothing can push you off. You're like in a super good mood. And I went home and I remember there's this uh, show as well I used to watch, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And I stopped watching it because I noticed I wasn't laughing anymore. And I didn't want to ruin this good show by just watching it like a zombie and not laughing. So I started watching it as a test and like within a few seconds, I just noticed myself giggling. Like I couldn't even control it. Like even things that I thought it's not that funny, but then my, my laugh would pick up and I was just like, like shouting out loud, like through like the neighbors could hear me. And so I actually went searching also on PubMed and I found a few studies that showed that the blood flow restriction and even exercise in general, but usually not weightlifting, mm-hmm. more cardiovascular type of uh, exercise, like running, will boost BDNF or cycling will boost BDNF. But in fact, if you use blood flow restriction bands, and which will also lower the, maybe the amount of oxygen delivered to the muscles, then BDNF is increased. So that's like a little hack to make uh, weightlifting even more beneficial also mm-hmm. for the brain. Do you know what the mechanism of that is? Like, why does um, why does blood flow restriction help with that? My my own, my main guess would be because it restricts oxygen to the blood, mm-hmm. and apnea training and breath work in general, holding your breath will also increase BDNF. Mm, so it's like a slight hypoxia, yeah, which exactly. makes sense. That's yeah. the word. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting, yeah, because I know most studies, it's like, yeah, it's a, it's it's usually cardiovascular exercise that boosts BDNF. It's like sort of that roaming behavior, like you're hunting, right? There's this association with a little bit of starvation, like fasting can activate that pathway. So anything that just puts the animal under stress, so the main stressors that we would have evolved to combat, any of those things, so usually environmental stress, or sort of starts to get our brain um, to start to innovate to deal with that. So that's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, definitely um, a stripe against being comfortable all the time. If you want to be comfortable all the time, you will never really find true comfort, true happiness, maybe, <laughs> depending on your genes, of course. Uh, definitely true in my case. Well, it's interesting because a lot of our modern society is based around our comfort, right? Not needing to move. So our our environment is um, based around like, you know, um, sort of overcoming our need for movement. We have elevators, we have cars, um, you know, just hijacking the specific taste that we would go after that would be rare in our environment, like sweet, salt, fat, 
um, you know, things that have been just genetically modified and synthetically altered to get us to, to go after them. And so it's interesting, you know, um, that when we start to move into what our body has evolved to deal with, that essentially shaped us and shaped our genetics and shaped our genes and what our genes have evolved to deal with, it just it activates these dormant mechanisms that can promote health. Yep, so true. Mm, that's really cool. Because, And then um, we talk about oxytocin. We want to talk about oxytocin. Definitely. Go for it, yeah. <laughs> okay. So um, in my genetic SNPs, for me at least, there's uh, it shows that my oxytocin gene doesn't work as efficient. And over the course of my life, and indeed people have told me many times I'm not that empathetic, People would tell me or be standing in front of me, for example, oh, I'm so distraught or this happened and I'm hurt. Or Especially when they're mentally hurt, I would just look at them and be like, you look fine or you're fine. I could just never get into their emotions, you know, like how they were feeling. And um, um, oxytocin is also one thing that can boost BDNF, uh, mostly if it's uh, positive encounters. Uh, with friends, uh, family, or physical touch. I would also almost never touch people. I, I'm talking to them, and it would feel weird to touch them. Um, so I don't how did I? I don't remember how I got to this, but so I started to experiment with the peptide oxytocin itself, which, uh, um, and in fact, I was staying with my mom for uh, like a few weeks when I was starting this. Uh, embarkment on like using oxytocin and after a few days or after maybe even a week i told my mom you see anything different in me you feel anything different and she's like you're actually really nice you're very friendly even when i'm not and just started laughing <laughs> and i mean my mom and i have a very uh, interesting relationship uh, not always the best so to speak and i was a bit like oh. so she even knows she's acting like uh, I don't want to say the word here, but she wasn't really active, friendly to me, but I was still friendly to her. And one thing that oxytocin does, it helps with stress resilience mm. and it helps with uh, verbal intelligence. Mm. And um, one thing I did notice with oxytocin, for example, very small, very like subtle example is I'm in a cab, I get in an Uber and Uber driver says something and I'm hearing impaired. I didn't hear what he said. I'm like uh, going in my mind, going about things that I want to do that day. And after a while, I'm like, oh, he said something. Well, he probably asked me where I was going because in Colombia, most Uber drivers will always ask you where you're going to double check you didn't put in the, the, the wrong address. And um, so without asking him, excuse me, I just said, I'm going to this place. And then for a second, my usual behavior would be like, okay, well, maybe it was weird that there was a long pause between his question and my answer, but I don't care. What do I care? I don't know this guy. But now all of a sudden I'm like, that must feel weird to him. Or maybe he thinks like it's awkward or maybe he's like, what is this weirdo sitting next to me in my Uber? And all of a sudden I felt this urge to explain to him or to tell to him like, or just say it out loud. And I said, oh, that was a long, awkward silence. Huh, maybe I need some more sleep tonight. And we both started laughing. Like, I made a little joke. The ice was broken. Without oxytocin, that it would never have happened. That would have just been. 
And that's another thing I noticed with oxytocin, me being more empathetic, I'm also empathetic enough that I want to explain myself mm-hmm. and then I have the energy to explain myself verbally. And instead of thinking like, oh, that takes much, too much effort to like, for example, to my employees to explain why I want it done this way. All of a sudden with oxytocin, it's much easier to do. And so, for example, my mom would say, it's like, oh, you don't have to change for anyone. You're fine the way you are. I'm like, maybe I don't, but life is much more enjoyable this way. Mm. I have more energy to talk. I explain myself. People are connecting with me more. We're laughing more, both me and the other person. So why would I not use it? Although I do have to say oxytocin is very potent, very powerful. And um, for these like three weeks on end, I was doing it very regularly. I would do it after a workout because it enhances muscle recovery. And I would do it before sleep also because it enhances sleep. And uh, after three weeks, I really started to understand what people meant with spirituality and we're all humans, we're all connected. Mm-hmm. And I actually started to become a little like overwhelming. And I was like, wow, this is really potent. I shouldn't like play with it too much. So then I backed off. And uh, another instance I had, I don't know if it was related to oxytocin, but I think it was. I remember something I did that was like wrong or uncalled for. I was like mean to a person. And not just that I was mean, I was also in my mind, I was going like, yeah, it's good. Are you hurt? Good. And actually, this person is a good friend to me. So all of a sudden, I was like, why am I being mean to this person? It makes no sense. And um, so months later, I did some oxytocin. I remember this moment. And for like almost an hour, I had so much difficulty to forgive myself, to push it outside of my head to be like well this has passed i already apologized actually at the time i didn't apologize i did apologize now so maybe it was me telling myself well you know you did this and it was wrong you still haven't apologized for it maybe that's what was happening so mm-hmm. um yeah it's so interesting like so i mean oxytocin just to give some background is it's essentially like the love hormone it's associated so it's actually um, increased for women during childbirth. It helps with uterine contraction to help expel the baby during childbirth. Mm-hmm. And then it's about bonding and connection. And so it's t- t- um, typically women have more oxytocin and men have more vasopressin and they're sort of, they work in, in opposition to one another. And so it's essentially like a, a very female hormone. It's about connections, about social interaction. Like you mentioned, smoothing over awkward social moments. Whereas before you'd be like, oh yeah, I can kind of sense that it was awkward, but I'm not going to put myself too much in the cab driver's head to really feel like I need to kind of like, he can think whatever he wants of me. There was this natural impulse to, to actually smooth that over and then connect with him just for the sake of connection, just because it became more potent to you and more um, salient in terms of like what you actually wanted from the experience. And then you're also speaking of almost this, this guilt or shame because that's a big part of of seeing ourselves in someone else's eyes and and this idea of like oh i did wrong to this person um or i was in this vindictive place or i was seeing that person as an other and now that i see that person as a part of myself i'm i'm actually experiencing hurt for hurting myself yes and then you're also talking about this almost this ego dissolution where you're like, I am overwhelmed by the idea that we're all this interconnected entity and maybe we're not even individual people and I'm <laughs> starting to lose my individuality and that's freaking me out. So I need to stop oxytocin. 
Um, but I also want to just say one thing, moxidosin is it's a, so it's a peptide, and we'll talk more about different peptides. Uh, so peptides are not approved for clinical use, but they're they're protein complexes, so they're like protein strings um, that naturally occur in the body, and there's many of them that a lot of them are active in the brain. And oxytocin, and so insulin is one. So in, in, a type one diabetic that, that injects himself with insulin is injecting a peptide. Um, so in in that sense, that particular um, peptide is approved for clinical use. But oxytocin can be injected and it can be snorted and it will actually just raise your body's levels artificially of oxytocin. And so, you know, you can get oxytocin through um, naturally through like connecting with somebody, skin to skin touch, even touching um, one's own body. There's like these self-compassion practices you can do. But in your case, you had done these, this, this, um, genetic tests, looking at your SNPs, and you don't naturally produce that much oxytocin, like your gene is not that efficient. And then you were sort of looking back through your life, like, hmm, yeah, I can see the ways in which um, I may have not been making as much oxytocin, like, you know, like, yes. you're like, I'm kind of an a-hole <laughs> in some <laughs> regards. <laughs> yes, yes. But then there's also this, this verbal acuity that comes from it, which makes a lot of sense, because our social interactions are all about verbalizing to connect and communicate that's this idea of like women um gathering with the kids with the papooses on their back and like weaving baskets and just sort of hashing out problems and you know discussing things um you know and and this is very interesting actually a very interesting fact also about oxytocin because a lot of people even doctors are like oh that's a female hormone or are you going to give childbirth why would you use that but for example, people are, that are in the military um, or people that work out together or do martial arts together. In fact, in the military, when men go through hardship together and they, they sing together, singing increases oxytocin, they sing together, they fight together, they, they touch each other also by fighting and then hitting each other. Oxytocin is raised. And in fact, they've shown like, humans will be able to coordinate their group actions better to like hunt either other humans or which is war or to hunt other animals so without speaking you can read your friend's body language and you actually become more efficient at having war with all with, with like threats with enemies with other animals and uh, you know, mm. I just thought that for, for the people who think it's just a female hormone, it's mm. just much more than that. It it makes sh- sure that the tribe keeps intact, and everyone helps to defend the tribe. And and mm. and you can also, for example, when you just meet people, strangers, and you have a, an adventure with them. For example, um, a dog attacks you, and you fight off the dog together, even though you're both strangers. This event will increase oxytocin so much that now you have your bond is a little tighter or you can shoot even go shoot guns together even if you're mm-hmm. not in the military like if you're going on a date it's very it could help you if you actually do something exciting not just exciting for excitement's sake but do something that's really like an adventure like go on a hike um mm-hmm. sharing trusting people and being trusted also increases uh, oxytocin so it's very um well, what I like about it is, in, a, in an essence, it's free. You don't really have to use the peptide itself. But, I mean, once I, what I liked about using the peptide is once I did, I saw what was possible. Mm. I saw how I could be when oxytocin was at a nice, as a good level. So even now, when I don't use oxytocin, I can think like, oh, 
this isn't right. This isn't how people should behave or I should interact with other people. What would oxytocin Evo do, so to speak? And mm. I can smooth things over. Mm. Yeah, it's very interesting, right? It's like it gives you this baseline to return to where it's like, I know what's possible. Like you said, like it's like kind of cleaning uh, grease off a window or dirt off a window pane. Like I can, I now know what it's like to see clearly through this window and I can see when things are starting to kind of cloud over it. And, uh, and so it's time for me to sort of up my, my oxytocin game in terms of finding people I can trust going on. I wonder what, what's the mechanism behind the stress? Like, is it stress itself that boosts oxytocin? Is it the, the adrenaline or do you know what causes that? Mm, No, Mm -hmm. um, no, what I do, what I did find interesting, if I'm not mistaken, but we have to double check this. I think both uh, oxytocin and BDNF might use or share the same receptor. Mm. So, right. You were saying that, yeah. Like... You know, actually, a lot of things that are more like female specific, they're mm-hmm. not as well researched in science because for scientists, it's very difficult to to work with controls because of female hormones fluctuating uh, during mm-hmm. the month, et cetera. So, and it's just cheaper to do studies with only, but men only. So mm-hmm. I believe a lot of things that are seen in the past as being very feminine haven't been researched that well yet. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. I know that there's a, I had a friend, this is a real aside, but I had a friend that would do med studies and, uh, and I, I considered it at one point because I want to make money to put me, myself through school. And a lot of the criteria to, to participate in the studies was that you had to be um, postmenopausal or a man because of the, of the added variable of the different hormonal states and things. So that's interesting. Yeah. And it's interesting because actually yesterday I was talking with um, Erica in episode nine. We were discussing this idea of like the female brain is sort of designed for lateral pathways and the male brain is more about linear pathways and like it's like the hunter versus the gatherer and so um you know oxytocin is a lot and bdnf are a lot about this lateralization of different brain pathways to try and figure out it's literally like a bypass like this is how i i would normally do things this way a to b and bdnf is like well maybe we can go from a to c to b if the a to b pathway is blocked yeah Mm-hmm. This is very cool. Yeah. What other pet? So you've been exper- experimenting with various peptides. What are some other ones that you've been that you've been doing that are part of your biohacking regime? Um, one was uh, BPC one fifty seven, which um, is I would uh, consider a good entry level peptide, uh, especially if you're <laughs> if you're battling an injury. Like I would sometimes again my shoulder sometimes hurt and I've, uh, I've used BPC and it, sometimes my shoulder would hurt for weeks or months and with BPC 157 uh, like maybe within a week and a half or two like within a week and a half it's gone like completely gone not even distinguishable anymore and uh, BPC is actually a compound that is made in the in the stomach and is very important also for gut health um, another one uh, which was kind of interesting and it was a bit of an experiment was melanotan 2. Um, it's mostly famous for use in the bodybuilding world because it can give you a tan much faster than just being in the sun. But it's actually also been researched as a substance that might prevent skin cancer or protect mm-hmm. against the sun again. And um, there's some research that it might be beneficial uh, for autism. And just as the sun is, in fact, 
uh, the sun also we would have to double check, but I think like bright light and sun exposure in general increases uh, BDNF and oxytocin. Mm. But melanotan too, so what it does, it's, it stimulates the melanocortin receptors. A lot of people think when uh, sunshine is all about vitamin D, but mm. there's so much more. There's mm. melanocytes receptors in the skin, and all these are, when these are stimulated, they can enhance libido, they can enhance fat loss, they um, um, yeah, they protect you against the sun by by tanning, um, and they can suppress appetite. I mean, in the in the summer, people eat less, and the good thing about melanotan too is instead of being in the sun for five, six, seven, eight hours to get your so to speak sunshine fix, with melanotan you could do it in twenty, thirty minutes, yeah. and. Um, yeah, at first I didn't even know about the libido enhancing effects, but then I was using very small doses. And I would suggest everyone who wants to try would start with the smallest dose because it's so potent. And um, after a few weeks, I didn't notice, for example, that my sexual experience was enhanced. And in fact, I was much more giving. Mm. Uh, instead of just think, worrying about me and thinking about me, it was much more thinking about is she having a good time is does she enjoy this what else can i do and it kind of the best way to describe it it, it increased my sexual hunger like mm-hmm. before i'll be like well not that i'm bored but like oh, i want to do something else now and now with the melanotan too it was like i could go on forever it seemed like mm-hmm. just it was so Inter- not just not interesting is not the word, but it was so exciting in a way that yeah, this is amazing, this is wonderful. Let's just keep doing this. It's interesting. Do Do you know if that is uh, effective in women as well? Um, yes. Um, well, melanotan too might not be. Although I found some reports about women who do notice a difference, it might be very subtle, subtle, especially in the beginning. But they they um, the first few times that they tested melanotan 2 on humans, they noticed like that everyone who got it all of a sudden, or almost everyone, I got an erection, all the men. Hmm. And they've pinpointed it to one of the downstream metabolites of melanotan 2 as PT141. And that substance indeed does work in women. I think it's in fact the only aphrodisiac that works for women. Hmm. Um, well, what was I going to say? Yes, and in fact, it's so potent and it works so well that something happened in the legal realm in the USA. It was not approved or something. And usually when things are not approved, they are forgotten. And that's it. Because all these researchers spend time and money investigating this and they don't want to share it. But these researchers were like, this is so potent. This is so uh, efficient. The world needs to know about this. And they put all the research for free online. So everything is freely available for everyone. There's no patent on it, I think. Wow, that's, in, yeah. that's so cool. Yeah, because I think, I mean, low libido is something that's a sort of insidious issue among women, among some men, some male patients that I have as well, where, and, you know, there's different reasons for that, hormonal um, imbalances, stress, things like that. But it's very interesting. And it's like, so you said, you know, anything that melanotan works on, essentially the sun is also affecting yes. so it's like any Move. any benefit right like any benefit you get from the sun you're going to get from uh injecting the, or yeah. you can also again a nasal spray mm-hmm. and in fact uh, i've seen some i mean this is just internet n equals one data anecdotes 
there's people saying that if you do it intranasally, it will work more on the brain with the mood boosting effects and then and, and the appetite suppressing effects, etc., and less on the skin. So a way to not to become too dark or to tan too much could be to use it intranasally. Mm. And then one of the things, go ahead. I was just, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but melanotan too also has also been tested to help with autism. Right. uh, Well, what's the, do you know the mechanism of that? Like what does it boost in autism or how does it work in that way? Well, I mean, I don't want to seem like a broken record, but in general, sunlight, sun exposure, you got dopamine, definitely got dopamine, oxytocin also, and then BDNF. It's it's never one thing. It's like so many things working together, serotonin. Yeah. Mm. But um, melanotan too, and especially BTPT141, uh, work on the dopamine pathways for sure. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're going to get this mood boosting effect, this boost in motivation. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, the sun does so much, right? And I think there's this focus on vitamin D, but there's this huge effect of our circadian rhythms for all of these different things in our bodies. And so we'll, we know that like, you know, if you take someone who's sunlight deprived and you just in, give them vitamin D, I think there's studies in multiple sclerosis. It's like, yes, people with MS tend to have lower D levels, but just replacing their D isn't necessarily reversing their, their symptoms. Um, it's, it has a lot to do with sunlight. And I think, so, you know, one of the things I learned in school was that beta carotene is a biomarker of vegetable intake. So supplementing with beta carotene is not necessarily going to provide these positive outcomes in your, you know, in your health. Um, but we see these correlations with low health markers or like low health status and low beta carotene and like better health status and higher levels of beta carotene in the blood. So in this way, it's a biomarker, but it's not the beta carotene specifically that's changing someone's health status. And we have lots of studies on vitamin D and vitamin D is really important, but in many ways it may also be a biomarker for physical activity, which mostly is done outside and and sunlight exposure. And so we have to be really careful when we're looking at correlations with vitamin D because is it the vitamin D specifically, which is very important. It's a hormone in the body. It needs to do a lot of different things. Um, or is it the sunlight, right? Mm. And if, you know. And I'm also, I'm always looking how did we evolve, like ancestrally. Mm. The, since the agricultural revolution, we've been not uh, traveling like nomads anymore. We haven't been in the sun all day or outside all day. I mean, the amount of lux or light mm-hmm. in your house it's like being in a cave, sometimes mm-hmm. worse. Even if you use strong artificial lights, when you go outside, it's over 11,000 lux. Even on a cloudy day, if you just look at the sky, even if it's there, there are clouds present. Um, so, yeah, a lot of people, it's, it's not enough knowing the sun is good for you or light is good for you. You actually need to go outside as well and actually be around Mm. just being inside and looking through the window outside it's a beautiful day or sitting on the patio it's not the same i mean look where i am i'm outside the roof is here and i'm next to the next to the house and the the shade of course but yeah that that's what i mean there's no need especially at first you can you don't have to go get all the supplements get all the beta carotene all the peptides you can just do all these things move a lot stand a lot I'm standing up right now. I have the camera right here. I'm not sitting down. Um, and the beginning especially, I mean, it's going to be hermesis. It's not going to be easy, but 
you increase your exposure, you increase these things. After a while, it becomes easy, and life becomes so much more comfortable or bearable, even physical and uh, emotional or psychological stressors. And yeah, mm -hmm. definitely a word, uh, a path per word partaking no pursuing um something worth pursuing right it's it's like you start to crave it in a sense it's when you know what baseline you're returning to you start to feel this craving for movement or whether it be fasting or sauna you're sort of like oh it's been a while since i've had you know cold therapy i i'm kind of craving it in a way it's not comfortable i don't always want it but there's something that like you're, you're sort of craving that outcome afterwards um, that you the, the benefit that you get from it and like sunlight is huge I mean this is a big thing right it's like like if you think of you know again it's back to the low-hanging fruit like you said if you think of us as like if you think of what a plant needs to be healthy we're the same way and so you know yeah you can take all the supplements you can go on whatever specific diet but if you're not getting the sunlight the sleep the movement the water the fresh air it's, you know, can we ever achieve optimal health without those basic foundational necessities? It's going to be definitely more difficult and you'll spend <laughs> a lot more money. Yeah, it's, like, it's a lot of peptides you got to inject to, uh, <laughs> to overcome your need for the baseline and, like, health factors. Um, and so, I mean, one of the things too is um, with the peptides, like any other peptides that you're, that you're using right now or that you've experimented with? Uh, sometimes I use uh, C-Max, which is mm. supposed to be uh, nootropic. Um, mm. It's not something I actually feel. Again, it's maybe subtle, maybe just smoother thinking, smoother working. Um, mm. Yeah. yeah little... I know that was something you were using to try and up your surf game in Brazil. Yes. <laughs> was it working? And I feel, I feel it, that it worked, but I mean, again, there are so many variables. Before Brazil, I definitely was out in the sunshine more, which increases dopamine, and dopamine has an effect on balance, so my balance would be better. I do feel like normally to pick up where I left off two years before, it would have taken me longer, and now I feel with the C-Max, it was easier to pick it up faster, to get back to where I was before, because if you don't do something, especially me, anything that's coordination or balance if i don't do it for two years i'm going to be almost exactly where i was before mm. right cmax is one of those bdnf boosters as a peptide yes, yeah. It is. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and again yeah, peptides are not um they're not available for clinical use so nobody is um recommending them a lot of them are just for research purposes at this point but there's a lot of biohackers that are using these things because again biohacking is all about that tweak and um, biohacking involves things like that. Like the, the keto diet and fasting are big in the biohacking world. So there's these little, like this, you know, are, what are the ways that we can, you know, optimize that last 10% of health? Psychedelics as well. Um, microdosing is a big biohacking technique. Um, yeah. And then there's lots of gadgets as well. And, uh, you know, different things. Like I think, uh, what's the one that you use for your ears that helps regulate circadian rhythms? Uh, the human charger. All right. Do you use that? Um, usually when I travel and um, I want to reset my circadian rhythm and like on the new clock or wherever I land, then I'll put it in in the morning as soon as I wake up. Mm. Um, 
Sometimes, uh, actually, lately I haven't been using it that much, but sometimes things like, oh, I would want a coffee or there's no time for a coffee or I, or I don't want a coffee that day because I do a lot of like non-coffee days, mm. um, two days on, three days off, et cetera. Then I'll use the human charger instead. Mm. Mm. Basically, it shines, yeah. it shines the light into your ears mm. because there's, there used to be other devices that would shine the light in your eyes, but it could actually give you retina damage. And there's photoreceptors in the ears as well and all over your skin, but ears, eyes. So they came up with the, the human charger. Mm. Yeah, it looks like a little iPod with earphones, but they don't produce sound. They just shine blue light into the ears. It sort of regulates circadian rhythm. So it's useful for uh, you know, transatlantic flights, this kind of thing to help re-regulate the circadian rhythms like melatonin or sun exposure might mm. do. It's very in interesting. Fact, one that I like the most is um, I can't think of the name. Oh, the V-Light. The V-Light, mm. the one that just shines. There's two. There's one that goes on your head, and there's one that just shines on your nose, a red light, and your like nose lights up like a clown, clown when you use it. Um, I noticed a long time, even before other, I heard it on a podcast, but if you use it right before sleep, or actually you go, you go to bed, you lay in bed, you put it in, I'll go on for 25 minutes, I noticed with the aura ring that whenever I would use it, I would have like maybe 20, sometimes 30 um, extra minutes of REM sleep. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a really nice one. I like that. It's supposed it, yeah. to, you could use it before studying as well. It's supposed to enhance your brain function. Mm-hmm. You could uh, use it before a workout. It's a, it's a vasodilator. It dilates your blood vessels. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, but I only use it actually before I go to sleep or sometimes mm. in the mornings when I think of it. I don't always think of these things and I don't always use them just like the the big low hanging fruit first. And sometimes like, oh, I, I see it right there. Might mm. as well use it. You can use it up to twice a day. Mm. So, What other things have you found help your sleep? Because I know you have a whole sleep regime. Um, lately, I've been working. I've, I'm doing the ketogenic diet right now. And one thing I've noticed is that my heart rate is a little higher than usually. Usually it's 46 beats per minute, which a lot of people say is very low. Mm. And now it's around the 52, 55 beats per minute. And I've been, let's say, sleeping a little less. Mm. But I still feel great. I don't know if it's because I need less sleep because I'm not consuming as much carbohydrates as I usually do or what it is but so i still want as much sleep as i can get so lately i've been using tryptophan which is a supplement one one gram of tryptophan before bed um, i also use taurine mostly to help break down the wi-fi and the bluetooth which is everywhere mm-hmm. it, uh, it's taurine will help you taurine will help with radiation you can also use it while flying mm-hmm. to help with the cosmic radiation and glycine. Um, nowadays, we eat a lot of muscle meat, which is a lot of methionine. And back in the day, we would eat the animal nose to tail, which means the skin, the joints, the connective tissue, which has a lot of uh, glycine. So mm-hmm. I, I use glycine with that. And for a lot of people, three grams of glycine before bed will increase their deep sleep. Mm-hmm. My deep sleep is really good. It's pretty much always around to two hours a night. The, the thing that could use most help is REM because once I wake up, I'm usually awake and ready to go. So the, the R ring showed me which that the longer I stay in bed, 
actually the more REM sleep I have. So what I need to do is, even though I wake up, instead of like, okay, I'm ready to go, let's go, turn around and just dream about something else or like daydream. And then sometimes you fall asleep again as if you're like fooling your mind, oh, we're, we're dreaming, we're sleeping. And then you actually start to sleep again for some extra REM. Because mm-hmm. REM happens sort of in the earlier morning, exactly. the later part of sleep. Yeah. And so what you're talking about are amino acids. So taurine, which tends to boost GABA, which is a relaxing neurotransmitter. And then you're talking about how it can also affect, um, help protect against radiation. And, um, and glycine, which is an amino acid as well, found in collagen. It's one of the main amino acids in collagen, which is found in connective tissue of animals. Um, and glycine in, it, in and of itself is an inhibitory neurotransmitter. So it calms the brain also regulates blood sugar and it's involved in detox pathways. Sometimes I have it with a meal. If I have a lot of carbs, I throw in some glycine. Yeah. And it's a great, it has a little bit of a sweet taste. So people can use it as a sugar substitute. Um, and then what was the other one you talked about? Oh, tryptophan. So tryptophan is actually an essential amino acid that plant-based um, individuals need to watch that they're getting because it's in poultry and in eggs typically. And, um, and we don't make it, in our bodies on our own. So we need to get it from food and it's converted into 5-HTP, which is then converted to serotonin, which is then converted to melatonin. And so it's one of those things that if you, um, it's called precursor loading, I believe. Um, and so, yeah, if you provide your brain and body with a high dose of the precursor amino acid, you can push the pathway to get more of the end product like serotonin and melatonin. Um, it's actually something my vet recommended that I give Coco <laughs> to help him sleep. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just give him turkey breast, which is high in tryptophan's favorite food. So yeah, but that's yeah. So you you'll do some some amino acid loading to help you sleep, and then you're noticing yeah those those tweaks are effective in uh, getting more deep sleep. And other things that I sometimes use is a passion flower tea, chamomile mm-hmm. tea. Just, the mm-hmm. these all these are all known to enhance sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, like Nervine herbs uh, that boost GABA typically in the brain. Um, and passion flower is actually great because you don't get a hangover effect from it. So valerian, if you wake up in the middle of the night, like you do that, you have that two to 4 a.m. wake up that a lot of people get and you take something like valerian at that time, you might feel groggy because the effects are prolonged. You get that kind of hangover, but passion flower doesn't give you that. So you can take passion flower as needed if you wake up. It's kind of good to know. Okay. Not medical advice though. This is for <laughs> educational purposes only. <laughs> and, uh, oh man, there was something else I wanted to ask. Oh, I want to talk about Viome. So I want to talk about gut testing. Cause I know this is something, this is like a new layer you've added is getting your, um, your, your, vi- your stool tested, your microbiome I've tested. I've done it uh, very recently. And then they give you recommendations based on your stool, like what your optimal diet could be. Or, and actually I've found a lot of, uh, correlations or similarities, better said, similarities with the DNA uh, testing from Self Decode and the recommendations that they give. Again, a lot of foods that are high in resveratrol, foods that are high in quercetin. Um, the my superfoods are, for example, olive oil, olives, lamb, mm. and uh, ghee, also to mm. increase butyrate, which. Mm. Butyrate also increases BDNF, dopamine. Mm. Um, mm. I, I, 
I just recently started, so I can't really comment on it much, but just the fact that I saw in my gut the same things emphasized as in the DNA test tells me like, okay, this is all making sense. Everything's coming together. Mm-hmm. Um, that's And one thing I, I would suggest also for people who do actually the DNA testing to get the full, to get all the reports. And then I went through my reports and I just looked, which thing is recommended the most, mm-hmm. which are my low personal low hanging fruit. If I do this, I'll have the most impact. So the, those things that come up, those are my non-negotiables. And for someone else, they could be different. Um, it's really cool. So- it's like you establish your own health plan based on the data that you found. And I think you do, um, was it 23andMe? And then you ran it through a specific um, interpreter? Yeah, then then uh, I uploaded the data to South Decode. But in South Decode, in fact, also have their own uh, DNA testing. And their terms and conditions are way more rigid than 23andMe. If you mm. do 23andMe, it will be shared mm. with, I don't know, pharmaceutical companies or this and that, or people you might not, not people, but companies you might not want to know. South Dakota mm. has a very rigid uh, privacy policy. Mm. Um, so you, I would suggest people to go skip 23andMe and just go straight to South Dakota. And mm. there's another one now called Chronomic, Chronomics. Mm. There, this is, I just ordered that two weeks ago and chronomics does not just dna testing but also epigenetic testing so they will see how your genes are switched on and off through your lifestyle and Mm. the way they explain it is you'll have like a genetic like a twin they'll make a virtual twin Mm. and then if you do these things you will have a better health outcome down the line you'll actually improve your body um, well, well, I haven't dove into that yet, but uh, there's there's actually a really good discount now where people would have to go to the Superhuman Radio podcast to find it. Mm. And usually it's, uh, I think the regular price is 1000 or $1,200, and now there it's only $290 mm. or $300, only available to Superhuman Radio podcast listeners. Mm. Sorry, okay. Talia. <laughs> I got to start getting on that and listening. But yeah, so people can check that out. We'll put the we'll put links to the different things you talked about self decode superhuman radio in the in the show notes in the description of the of this episode. Um but that's very interesting. So it's giving you like a like you know sort of two paths. Like you're at a fork in the road. If you go down this road, these are your health outcomes. If you go down this road, this is, you know, the hell that exactly. you potentially could enter. And uh that's very interesting. Because in the my genetic snips, it said, oh, you have, uh, you could become a diabetic. Mm-hmm. You probably battle with overweight, but I don't. And I just think my yeah. lifestyle has been able to counteract that. So it's not all about genetics. And their genetics, you mm-hmm. can see your risk markers. But what a lot of people should understand or what I would wish the med- medical orthodoxy would understand, you can influence your health outcomes so much just with lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So it's up to the fact that you don't have to worry about. It. I mean, it shows over and over again genetic twins, and they have totally different outcomes health-wise because they have different lives. Mm. Like absolutely, like, genes aren't everything. Like they can help uh, guide us in in terms of what do you need. But actually, the first time I ever did uh, genomic testing, I think it was when I just graduated. There was a new company that came out that um, that that tested your your SNPs. And what I found was it wasn't things that I didn't know. It was actually very interesting. So it was things like, you know, you don't really have many SNPs that are going to put you at risk of cardiovascular disease. And I was like, well, you know, in my family, 
we don't really have much cardiovascular disease. Mm. Um, but then there were other things like liver enzymes that were working more slowly. Like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense because I'm prone to things like migraines or, uh, you know, skin issues, just, just various things that you kind of already know about your health, which is very interesting. So we can kind of extrapolate just based on what we've been dealing with, our family history, but it's nice to see your SNPs and then, and then the recommendations then be able to have a strategic plan um, to follow. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, especially for me, seeing that I'm black and white really pushed me over and like this is a non-negotiable this needs to happen every day Mm -hmm. and and over time it accumulates in a positive sense like uh, over the last year i've only turned my life around coming from like a really deep dark place mentally and now feeling great every single day and if something happens in my life now or i get some bad news or something stressful it'll take me five, 10, 15 minutes, in the worst case, one hour to like get over it mentally. Mm. And back in the day or like last year, it would take me the whole day or weeks and like have a recurring thoughts, be obsessive about things is this way. This way is the only way now being much more flexible and like my, my, mm. my thinking. This is what, yeah, this is why I wanted to interview you because it's, I think, think so interesting in that you notice this 180 turnaround. So you went from this almost like dysthymia. It's like it wasn't quite depression, but it was generalized sadness and things that we could just attribute to, oh, this is the way I am, you know, or this is based on my circumstances. Like I'm in a bad relationship, I need to change it. And then with by doing these things, and some of these things are like top tier biohacking, like the peptides, but a lot of these things are sunlight, you know, exercise, hot, cold therapy, stuff that anyone can, t- can, t- can do, right? Anyone can sort of run a hot bath and, and get some hot therapy, heat therapy. Um, and you notice this mental resilience that kicked in as if you're tapping into a different personality. It's very interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm still the same person, but now I'm, I have like the mental tools to be the person that I want to be. And you don't want to be sad. You don't want to be stuck in a rut like, um, why am I so obsessive about this happening or having things my way? And I, I think I'll just tell a little story. And I was in Miami and my grandfather had been sick for a while. And my, I get a phone call and my, my mom said that he passed away. And the funny thing is within about five minutes of having that phone call, I'm driving and I have like a small accident. It's like, already showing that mentally, even though I'm like, fine, I'm driving, I'm still um, already like dealing with the stress. Nothing major, everyone's fine. It was just like uh, material damage. And over the course of the next week, I bought my ticket to go back to Belgium to attend the funeral. Over the next week, we, we actually had planned with my girlfriend, I had, at the, my girlfriend at the time, I had planned to go to all these amusement parks in Miami and I remember being out all day in the sun and I was actually eating very little which is fasting we were doing intermittent fasting which we haven't really gotten into I was also eating a lot of pistachios a lot of leafy greens when I did eat sometimes only one meal a day and a lot of salmon and after a few days like you know what's interesting I'm really close to my grandfather but I don't feel that sad I don't feel like I'm hurting. And when my cousin died, died years ago, 
I was um, I was a mental mess, miserable. I think that's, and I was actually closer to my grandfather than to this cousin. My my grandfather used to raise me. I lived at his house for a couple of years by my grandparents, both of them. And uh, but we attributed to oh maybe the adrenaline from the amusement park and the rides. But I thought it was kind of like a weird explanation. Hmm. Then we went to Belgium, and in Belgium, every single day I started feeling worse, with the total deep point being the funeral, the day of the funeral, crying a lot. And I know it's not a competition, but I always felt like I was crying more than some other people, like some other cousins in my family. Or, I don't know, not crying more maybe, but also I felt like I was dealing with it much more painfully, like I was in more pain, so to speak. And it uh, went on and on, and we then I had to go back to Miami for work after the funeral, pretty much the day after, and it deteriorated even more. And the whole day, like nonstop, I could hear the funeral song playing in my head. And every single time I thought of, and I was constantly thinking about my grandfather. Every time I thought about him, I was crying. Like I had the difficulty speaking to other people. Sometimes I would just burst crying in the middle of the conversation. But then all of a sudden, about a week later, something happened. And in the meantime, every single day, I walked out to the pool. I sat by the pool, not in the sunshine, but in the shade. And I would watch uh, the summaries of the World Cup goals at the time. And I would eat my pistachios, eat my arugula, have my salmon. And the fourth day, I noticed I'm walking around and I just start giggling over something simple. Insignificant. Like, oh, this is weird. I haven't laughed in, in at least 10 days or weeks. Even when I was at the amusement parks with my ex-girlfriend at the time, we weren't really laughing. Already, we weren't really, that wasn't really the type of relationship we had. It wasn't really a good relationship. But I digress. So that same day, I giggled not once, but three times. I'm like, something's going on. Did I stop thinking about my grandfather? And I realized, no, I'm still thinking about him a lot. And the funeral song is still playing. So, but it doesn't hurt. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. This is great. I can commemorate my grandfather. I can remember him without being in pain. Mm. I can laugh about the good times we had and all the beautiful memories. And this, this is so much more enjoyable. Mm. And um, so that, that moment and some other moments in my life where I felt better or like really good about baseline really made me d- dive deeper in mental health. And at the time I thought, oh, fish oil, fish oil or salmon is the holy grail. But it won't, it wouldn't work all the time, no matter mm-hmm. how big of a dose I took. So then I started again with the multifaceted approach. It's many different things all working together in the perfect storm, you know. Mm-hmm. Like the stacking effect. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Mm. Um, so how did I get to this? This change story? in mood and how you noticed yeah. circumstances would affect, well, mm. specific stacking protocols would affect it versus the circumstance. Mm. So yeah, my mental resilience was way higher, just as it is now, really good. And in fact, this is, uh, there are studies that show when people are depressed, they think everything's attack against them. Um, like when I was younger, like in my teens, I would walk down the street. And if some people are laughing, I would sometimes think, and this is how depressed people think, are they laughing at me? Mm. Are they talking about me? But now when I'm happy, 
or in general when I'm happy and I see people laughing, I also laugh. I'm like, oh, they're having a good time. I'm having a good time. Well, life is great. So, mm-hmm. and when people actually crack jokes or they're roasting each other, when I was in a bad, st- and sometimes you don't realize. But so when people roast each other or roast me or give like underhanded comment, like a backstabbing comment, but sometimes it's not a backstabbing comment, it's just a joke. Mm-hmm. But when you're in a bad place, you're like, oh, I feel offended. Why would you say that? And I remember this joke that, that happened last year and I was really, it really uh, like affected me. And just this week, I thought about that joke and I started laughing, but it's such a good joke. Mm-hmm. And, like, and it wasn't even directed at me. It was directed at someone else, but I took it personally. And it's one of my theories now that maybe a lot of comedians say that like political correctness, people are upset faster. They ask, oh, that joke offended me. You need to apologize. I think a lot of it has to do with the decline, the overall decline in mental health all over the world. And it can definitely cycle. Like I think one of the, I mean, the main symptoms of depression is this lack of self-esteem. There's a stigmatization that is that, you know, part of how mental health is just stigmatized generally, or we feel this internal stigmatization and, and this internalized sense of shame. And then you, you feel that you interject that when you hear people laughing, you were saying, you were like, are they laughing at me? Um, Because everything sort of becomes about, you know, our, our failings and this kind of thing. And then that just flips. I've heard this with microdosing, actually. It's interesting. Like people would say, um, it's a, the amygdala doesn't get activated in the face of s- stressful circumstances, such as like uh, a, a face that shows. So normally if you, if, you, if you see an angry face or a face that shows disgust, we'll feel threatened. And because it's about us, right? It's this. It's about this interaction between us and that other person. And so, oh, they're angry at me. And so then we we start to our amygdala starts to get activated, and we start to get ready to respond. Um, but when we sort of change these serotonin pathways, and so you know, microdosing psychedelics potentially is one of those ways that, that can happen. But you know, these other things that you're talking about are also going to be changing your serotonin system if they're impacting your mood. Um, we stop to per- we stop personalizing that those facial expressions, and we stop making it about us and it's just this automatic thing that happens it's not a, an active thing we have to do necessarily it just it's you, it's like you said you, you remember that joke and you're like oh that's a hilarious joke it's not about me whereas before you were personalizing it yes yep well when you're in a bad place you take everything in a negative way or a lot of things at least mm-hmm. and um to come back to psychedelics for example i've done a little bit of microdosing but never continuously mostly because i just forget about it and um the with psychedelics for me the, the the changes are so subtle that i was like oh does it really work some days i feel like yes other days nothing and i travel so much not now right now of course due to the lockdowns but i travel so much i can't be traveling over international borders with illegal substances so mm. that's uh and everything's going great the way i'm doing now so i don't want again people to think oh peptides psychedelics mm. it's a must-have there's so much easier ways, really, or more legal ways to do mm. it. Well, this is why, yeah, again, why I wanted to interview you, because I think that, and I've spoken about this before, where we're always looking for that, that magic bullet, right? It's like, oh, if I inject this peptide, it's going to make this giant change. And I think that that can be true. And sometimes it's really nice to have this one thing that has powerful, far-reaching effects. But, I mean, we always talk about 
first filling in the foundational gaps, like sealing the foundational cracks in our, in our lifestyle. And it's like, you know, I mean, yeah, you, you can do melanotan instead of getting sunlight, but it's probably a lot better to just put ourselves in an environment that our body is used to evolving in if we can. Yeah. And for example, uh, remember when we were in Brazil, there was this guy who was in distress and he asked for some tips. And I mean, the main tips would be like, get some good sleep, but we're at a festival, music never stops and almost nobody ever sleeps. But um, okay, let's do some breathing exercise. Let's drop down and do 20 push-ups right here. We don't need psychedelics or we don't need uh, peptides to make us feel better instantly. And how do you feel now? It's like, oh yeah, better. There you go. It's just, it's free. I remember that. He's like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm awesome now. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> but what he really wanted was like, put me on some supplements because I want to, yeah. you know, nobody really wants to hear, well, do some push-ups, you know, but I mean, it is, that's the point, right? Is that it is a lot of the time about uh, exercise. It's, it's, you know, the thing that we kind of know in the back of our, of our mind we should be doing, but um, you know, we need need to be convinced and I think like you and we all have our different um our our own personalities right so like in your case what's what it sounds like is you really like to okay here's your black or white strategy so it came down from Dan the man it came from Dan the man it started with Dan the man (laughs) when he was 27 he was literally like you want big arms follow this protocol and you're like okay no questions asked I'm I'm in I'm just going to dedicate myself to this protocol and and take away that decision making element of it i'm just going to submit myself to dan the man trust him and go and it's now with self-decode okay here's okay this is based off of my own genetics so it makes sense it's based off of science i'm going to just try it and see what happens and then um and then kind of check in again in a few months and see how i feel and then you start noticing these effects exactly this is great evo i mean there's a lot of things we could keep talking about like we could really get into viome i mean viome basically is just a, a a microbiome test looks at stool there's many different tests that um that can look at you know what's going on in your poop and and viome uh there's some criticism against it but but some of my patients have had it tested and one of the things that's useful it's very sensitive because it's looking at it's a pcr test so polymerase chain reaction which is just looking at all it's which amplifies dna so it's looking at all of the dna in your stool um, so some of that could be clinically relevant and some of that might not be clinically relevant. Like one of the main criticism, criticisms I've heard of, of Viome is that it can det- it's so sensitive that it can detect things that may have been growing in your colon like decades ago. They're no longer relevant. Um, but it, it does um, you know, give you a, a list of foods that might be beneficial. And a lot of people are finding that that makes sense for them. They're like, you know what? I'm not really... Um, I don't really do well with grains, but Viome suggested buckwheat and lentils and I actually do respond really well to those foods. So there is, I think all of these things can act like guides and it's all about just the trial and error and using it as a, as a springboard to figure out what, what works for us. So, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. yeah. But you said that, yeah, it's just something new that you've, that you've been implementing. So you, yeah, well, I actually wanted to see the connections to the DNA test and uh, mm-hmm. like, again, seeing that confirmed was like, okay, and uh, actually, there was one thing that kind of made me sad, and I still have to ask them about them. They suggested that I lower my intake of blueberries, and because apparently there was a blueberry blueberry virus. So there's viruses that are plant viruses, and even though they don't really affect us in a big way, maybe because we're humans, 
the plant viruses have still shown in the gut to increase inflammation. So they suggested to at least for now and for the the next few months cut out blueberries mm. or minimize their intake. Um, another thing that didn't surprise me was tomatoes for the same reason. But uh, tomatoes, for example, I could see them in my stool sometimes, like very very tiny, but you can still recognize it. So I always been of the thinking if you see something in your stool like undigested you shouldn't be eating it mm. and confirmed amaranth kiwicha quinoa all these show up in my stool in a big way even when i ferment them soak them do all those things no go mm. and again the viome test pinpointed that really well mm. so there's a, like some of them are like avoid don't even eat these ever so there was uh Mm. Um, mostly plant foods in my case, which also doesn't surprise me because over the course of my whole life, I always noticed the more plant foods I eat, usually the more diarrhea and loose stool I get. And the more animal-based foods I eat, the more nice, solid, smooth everything is. Interesting. Yeah. And I remember from Brazil, like I'd head off with other girls from the surf camp to the buffet to eat the broccoli that they served there. And you'd be like, no, I'm sticking with my raw meat. I'm good. <laughs> Um, broccoli, in fact, is an avoid for me. Broccoli Ooh. and all the cruciferous vegetables. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's that's a, a common thing with lots of people. Like um, some people do well with high sulfur diet and others don't do so well. I'm actually curious. I have a volume kit and I'm curious to test it out and see um, and, awesome. and see how that, fa- that works. <laughs> yeah, this is good. Yeah. And we didn't really get into intermittent fasting, but um, but there's so much more we could talk about. And anything else um, you want to end with? A lot of people have been talking about intermittent fasting already. I feel like maybe nowadays it's already getting less sexy. Mm. Um, basically, it comes down to avoid snacking and mm. compress your eating window. So I'm now, especially women, because women, again, some people say women are less can, can do less fasting hours than men. So every single day, don't eat for 12 hours. So my mom or my auntie asked me, so does that include your sleep? I'm like, yeah, just stop eating at 7 p.m. And you can start eating at 7 a.m. It's that easy. Just don't eat anything there. And if you can, make it earlier, like from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. Because eating a big meal before bed is not really beneficial. Mm. Um, but intermittent fasting raises BDNF, raises ketones, which also increases BDNF. Um, actually, in fact, many times that I was like euphoric happy in my life, can be attributed to having a lot of ketones in my blood probably because I was fasting or and because I was very active. I was traveling, so I didn't feel like I want to want to be eating. I have all the stuff to do. Um, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, I mean, this is the thing with intermittent fasting is it's such a sexy term that a lot of people are like, oh, I'm intermittent fasting. But normally they're, they're just not a breakfast person. And, but now there's a cool term for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have to also define that term because it could mean that the five, two diet, which is two days of the week, you don't eat anything completely fast, um, at, you know, two non-executive days of the week and it's a weight loss technique. Um, or it could mean like you just said, 12, 12 and 12. So 12 hours of fasting and 12 hours of feeding. Um, and I think typically, um, which actually isn't based on a lot of the raw, science it's a 16 8 so 16 hours of fasting eight hours of feeding that's the one i usually do yeah and that one i think you know so they they do have the i believe it was the 59 was done was is the work of this man called sachin patel um sachin panda sorry sachin panda um in california and 
I think that it, it's interesting. Yeah. And it was called time restricted feeding. And so there's a lot of benefits to this and it's all about, I think what I always tell my patients is it tends to be better for men um, when they isolate female animals or female humans, um, they tend to have the opposite effect. So they're actually more insulin resistant. Um, their, their hormonal profile shifts towards more testosterone, more stress hormone production. And I think it's just like, um, do women respond the same way as a man to fasting? Probably not, or especially not long-term. So it's all about like just kind of tweaking things. But a 12-12 fast, I think pretty universally is beneficial and because it's like you're essentially uh, like avoid eating three hours before bedtime, give your digestive system a rest, and then uh, your digestive system can do its nightly sort of mm-hmm. cleaning and repair jobs that it can't do if it's trying to actively digest something. Like you notice when you're like, if I have a huge protein meal before bed, uh, my sleep's not as good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, this is great, Evo. So anything else you want to end off on? Uh, I think I've pretty much explained everything that came to mind. I have some notes here, but I think I... yeah. yeah. Tell us what's in your notes. Only have five words written down. Yep, I went over those. <laughs> <laughs> what are the five words? <laughs> uh, just right before we started talking, I wanted to make sure that I mentioned this. So I had the story about my grandfather, self-decode, um, the story about the joke, and I just uh, wrote down one pet that I, that I wanted to mention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. This is great. Yeah, thank you so much for joining me. Thank and, you for having um, me. We'll talk soon. <laughs> Bye.